good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Cato Institute. My name is Andrei Larionov. I'm senior fellow here at the Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. Uh, when several months ago we have started uh, preparation to this event, we were hoping to have almost purely academic discussion on the situation in Ukraine four years since the beginning of the Revolution of Dignity uh, in November 2013. But uh, the development of the last several weeks, and especially the yesterday's and night and today's night events, have corrected slightly our plans. As we all know, yesterday's night, unprecedented storm uh, by hundreds of commanders of the security service of Ukraine, of the private apartment of one of our speakers today, the former president of the Republic of Georgia, and the former governor of Odessa region, the leader of movement of new forces, Mikhail Saakashvili, and attempt of the Ukrainian authorities to arrest him, and it has been publicly admitted yesterday by the office of the Prosecutor General of Ukraine, without any indictment, any summons, any document from law enforcement bodies, has shocked Ukrainian society and the world alike. And sparked seems to be like a genuine political crisis in Ukraine. Even more unprecedented became immediate mass mobilization of tens of thousands of Ukrainian citizens who, after more than four hours battle with police forces, have freed Mikhail Saakashvili. Therefore, so our intention largely remains the same, is to try to understand what has really happened in Ukraine in the last four years, why it has happened, what achievements have been made and what mistakes, mistakes have been made within Ukraine and by Ukrainian allies in the West, one can and should West do now. Uh, first of all, we probably need to devote some time to understand the nature of the current crisis. We uh, have probably no better person to learn about it than Mikhail Saakashvili himself, former president of Georgia, former governor of Odessa region, leader of movement of new forces. We are looking for a uh, Skype connection with uh, Kiev right now. Uh, he is uh, at Maidan, just has delivered a speech, and I am asking our uh, technical team to see whether we have a connection with Kiev right now. Okay. Do we have I'm not uh, Mr. Sakasvili. Okay, yes, we see. Okay, so uh, could you tell us, uh, uh, it's Mr. Fedorin, the head of the Bindukid there center uh, in Kyiv uh, for economic research. Uh, Mr. Fedorin, could you tell us when Mr. Saakashvili could join us? Uh, he's still del delivering his speech. The square is full uh, of people, and I think two to three minutes will be enough to... Uh, to do it. So I propose to begin with the uh, okay, second speaker and okay. we'll, we'll be here. Okay, uh, thank you. In, in this case, probably we'll start uh, this almost academic program that I talked about. And uh, I will ask just to put uh, uh, 
short uh, snapshot presentation about the current state of Ukraine over the last few few years. Uh, this is just uh, very basic information. Probably many of you know these facts, but just uh, to update you with the current events. So over the last uh, several years, since uh, year 2013, Ukrainian government was able to uh, address the most important issue for establishing uh, long-term sustainable economic growth, reductions, uh, reduction in size of government. As you can see, it has achieved some progress by year 2016, but in year 2017, uh, size of government started to grow. And according to the uh, last plans of the Ukrainian government and the IMF, this uh, indicator should grow to year 2020, and by that year, it would probably reach almost the same level as uh, Ukraine had before uh, the revolution, which makes very uh, uh, unstable, if ever possible, sustainable uh, economic growth. Uh, on the other side, uh, the uh, Ukrainian government was incredibly successful, if it's possible to say, in increasing government debt. As you can see, in year 2017, it was slightly more than 11% of GDP. Uh, uh, as of November year 2017, it reached 86% of GDP, which for the country of such level of economic development makes it almost impossible uh, to continue uh, any uh, sustainable economic growth. Uh, what is especially striking that uh, uh, very often uh, observers are talking about the uh, very serious impact of the war that is uh, waged uh, by uh, Russia against Ukraine in east of the country and the heavy burden of military expenditure of Ukraine. The real data do not support this claim. As you can see, the overall defense expenditure of Ukraine was slightly uh, more than 2% of GDP in the last two years and falling. Uh, at the same time, the debt service is more than two times higher than the current defense expenditure. So it is rather hard to explain the current economic situation and current economic problems, financial problems, rising debt uh, of uh, Ukraine by uh, defense expenditures. One of the uh, issues that has attracted a lot of attention in Ukraine and uh, among observers of Ukrainian events is uh, the situation in the banking sector. As you can see here, in year 2011, Ukraine occupied the third position from the bottom uh, in the indicator of number of commercial banks for uh, 100,000 of population. Uh, only Indone Indonesia and Turkey had low numbers. Uh, it was extremely low level of financial debts. Number of commercial bank branches per 100 adults uh, put Ukraine in the bottom position in the world. Nevertheless, uh, National Bank of Ukraine started the process of further reduction of number of commercial banks. As you can see, uh, it reduced number of banks by half. As a result of that, financial debts of, uh, for Ukrainian economy has been reduced uh, even further, and financial resources available for business uh, uh, became uh, very scarce. Uh, foreign exchange reserves uh, fell substantially, and especially in, uh, from summer year 2014 to February year 2015, the speed of uh, squandering uh, foreign exchange reserves uh, in Ukraine with the new government 
was approximately three times faster than under President Yunukovych uh, um, in calculation per month or per year, as you can see. As a result of that, uh, Ukrainian Grivna has been devalued uh, and lost about 70% of its value before, uh, before this crisis. Um, uh, especially uh, worrisome is a decline in economic freedom in this, according to the Fraser Institute. Uh, as you can see, it's uh, growing down. And initial indicators for year 2016 also showing further decline in economic freedom index. Uh, as a result of this, GDP growth uh, was uh, a very, uh, uh, very limited uh, in the last two years after uh, more than 16% decline in year 2014 and year 2015. Um, uh, even more worrisome is a decline in rule of law uh, measured by Freedom House, as you can see here, over the last several years. Uh, a reflection of this situation is the uh, substantial changes in uh, public opinion polls. Here, as you can see, the result of the third annual Ukrainian municipal survey performed by, on behalf of the Canadian government, as you can see for January, February, year 2017. Uh, according to different uh, regions of Ukraine. Even in the uh, region of Vinitsa, the birth, uh, or the kind of the central place for the President Poroshenko, the support of uh, the President is relatively low. Uh, strongly approve his actions, about 3% of the population, 28% just approve. Uh, majority of people uh, do not have such view. A very similar picture about the support uh, of the current government uh, through the different regions. So I would stop here just to give some kind of uh, general picture about the uh, Ukraine situation. And once again, we'll see whether we have a connection with uh, Kyiv right now. So. All right, uh, looks like uh, we still waiting for uh, Mr. Saakashvili to join us. So in this case, um, I would invite to the podium uh, our two speakers, uh, uh, two distinguished speakers, um, uh, Katerina Smagli and Sergei Nasenka. All right, Mr. Fedorin, so just could you tell us? I think uh, it's a matter of a minute or two. All right, okay, uh, thank you. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Smartly, Mr. Nasenka, could you please join me here at the panel? Let me introduce, first of all, uh, Katerina Smartly. She is the director of the Canon Institute's office in Kyiv. Prior to joining the Canon Institute, she served as a consultant of the European Endowment for Democracy, program director of the International Renaissance Foundation in Ukraine, and political assistant at the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv. Last August, uh, Katerina has written uh, an uh, article, Wake Up Call for Ukrainian Civil Society, uh, that sparked explosion of debate on what is going on with the NGO sector in Ukraine, what is right and what is wrong, and what uh, policy should be taken by the Western allies towards Ukrainian civil society. Mrs. Magli, floor is yours. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Larionov and the Kata Institute for hosting today's Ukraine event. 
it is a real honor to be uh, here and to discuss the intriguing and intellectually puzzling process of Ukraine's democratic transformations, which is always vibrant and certainly never boring. At the beginning, let me say that I see the Euromaidan revolution as the most promising event of the uh, European continent over the last decade. Uh, at the background of growing authoritarianism, populism, nationalism, and Euroscepticism, Ukraine has demonstrated something different because its people stood up for the universal values of freedom, democracy, the rule of law, uh, and they clearly, by standing up for these common values, Ukraine has once again demonstrated that it became a, and remains to be a strategic partner of the United States. Um, they contributed to the European and global security and potentially a strong and reliable partner of the European Union and the United States. And thus to answer the key question of our today's debate, I would say that yes, Ukraine is on the right course because its geopolitical choice has been safeguarded and that no matter what, Ukrainians will be able to stand up to their rights again as they did so many times in the past. However, the wake-up call is indeed needed, and not just for Ukraine's political elites, for the failure to deliver on the anti-corruption reform, but also to, for Ukraine's civil society leaders and the international community. Because too much is at stake at the moment. Four years after the revolution of dignity, the new Ukraine remains out of reach. Experts warn that a counter-revolution is on the rise and that Ukraine may now slide back to authoritarianism and lose the democratic gains that had been attained at such a high price. The president and the government had the historical chance to write a new chapter of Ukraine's history, the chapter void of corruption scandals and politically motivated charges against their opponents. The people of Ukraine had the very high expectations of their leaders as they, the leaders, were propelled to government, literally on the backbones of Ukraine's civil society protesters. More than 100 people were killed, and speaking at the Verkhovna Rada exactly two years ago in December 2015, Vice President Biden put it very bluntly, looking in the eyes of Ukraine's parliamentary members, their sacrifice is your obligation. Uh, to make uh, some fair statements about Ukraine's reform, we have to acknowledge that, indeed, some reforms had a very good start at the beginning, despite the illegal annexation of Crimea, the war in the East, and uh, Ukraine's plummeting economy. Ukraine did achieve several breakthroughs. It improved its security and defense, established a much more capable army, cleaned up the endemically corrupt uh, oil and gas sector, and now has zero dependency on Russian gas, it set up three anti-corruption agencies, including the Anti-Corruption Bureau, Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office, and the National Agency for Corruption Prevention. It established the famous, I believe now the world-famous uh, procurement system, Prozora, or Transparent, which allows Ukraine's government to save millions of grivnia on uh, funds which were previously embezzled by corrupt officials uh, who were selling different goods uh, for the state. The new police has been set up and pension, education, and health reform bills were adopted. But this is barely enough. As Ukraine's journalist Vitaly Sich recently wrote, I thought that after the killing of 100 people on the Maidan, after the deaths of thousands of people in the East, Ukraine will never be the same. However, we still see uh, that 
corruption, schemes, and political deals still exist at the highest level. For the last three years, President Poroshenko has been working very hard on establishing his power vertical to preserve his grip on power. Although Ukraine is de jure a parliamentary presidential republic, de facto we have the presidential system in place. Poroshenko controls the security services, the army, diplomacy, the prosecutor's office, with at least 22 reformers forced out of the cabinet of ministers in 2016. The president now controls the majority of the cabinet of ministers members. He also exercises considerable control over the Central Election Commission and the judiciary. Ukraine's unreformed SBU on security services appears to be out of control and used by the authorities to advance their political and business goals. Since Russia launched its aggression in the East, SBU has accumulated massive powers and became even more secretive and unaccountable. It opens politically motivated cases even against former Euromaidan activists like Yulia Maruszewskaya, the famous member of Saakashvili team in Odessa, who was in charge of the Odessa Customs Office. Police reform is also incomplete, and police became uh, a political weapon as well. Arrests and illegal deportations of Mikhail Saakashvili's associates without court warrants illustrate this most evidently. At the time when Ukraine's post-Euromaidan leaders do not hesitate to arrest political opponents, they fail to convict even one person for the murder of 100 protesters at Euromaidan. The judicial reform is similarly slow. It has taken 18 months to nominate judges for the new Supreme Court, almost 30 out of 113 new Supreme Court judges were disqualified by civil society for violating judicial ethics, possessing ill-gotten wealth, and making unlawful rulings. But nevertheless, President Poroshenko accepted their credentials. In the last months, it became increasingly evident that Ukraine's anti-corruption bodies cannot fulfill their function, and that presidential administration attempts to control their work. Just today, Yegor Sobolev, the famous Euromaidan activist, was stripped of, its, of his powers as chairman of the Rada Committee for Anti-Corruption, and two members of the pro-presidential coalition has tabled a resolution which would allow them to dismiss NABU chairman uh, without an audit, and probably place somebody very loyal to the president to control this institution. So we witness attempts to diminish NABU's powers and subordinate it to the office of the prosecutor general and thus to the president. The effectiveness of new anti-corruption bodies is also limited in the absence of independent court system. Poroshenko has not yet submitted the law on the anti-corruption court, although he has received recommendation from the Venice Commission, and publicly ridiculed the very concept and idea of the anti-corruption court on multiple occasions. In short, the authorities appear to be imitating the fight against corruption, and instead they go after anti-corruption agencies and like anti-corruption activists. As long as this continues, the corrupt officials can rest safe. At this background, it doesn't come up as a surprise that deoligarchization has not taken place. Instead of demonopolizing certain sectors of Ukraine's economy, the government builds friendships with some oligarchs, selectively goes after the other, and allows its loyalists to create new monopolies. The attacks on civil societies have, have, have increased. According to the Ukrainian Union of Journalists, at least in the last 11 months, there had been 85 instances of physical assaults on journalists. 
No progress has been made on high-profile cases like the killing of journalist Pavel Sheremet. The authorities are drawing clear red lines for civil society organizations that work in the area of anti-corruption. And the state-controlled media discredits civil society leaders and the very idea of peaceful protests. As a result, Ukraine's leaders lose support both domestically and internationally. Just yesterday, the State Department has, for the first time, I believe, issued its very strong statement urging the government to step up its efforts in the fight against corruption by providing support, resources, and defense to the new anti-corruption bodies. As Secretary Tillerson put it, it serves no purpose for Ukraine to find its body in Donbass if it loses its soul to corruption. The European Commission has issued a similarly strong statement almost simultaneously, and um, at the last Eastern Partnership Summit, which was held in Brussels on November 24th, the European Commission decided to hold back on transferring to Ukraine the third and final tranche of 600 million euros of aid. Among the stumbling blocks were the failure to launch an automatic check on electronic assets declarations. To sum up, this is a critical moment of Ukraine. For Ukraine, the President Poroshenko is busy reconstructing his power vertical before the 2019 elections, and the combination of weakening economy and war without end is paving road for populists and hardline nationalists. The authorities already use the controlled media to rally the nation's citizens around patriotism as a way of deflecting the attention from the difficulties they are facing at home. The EU and the United States are busy with their own priorities, and thus the return of Ukraine fatigue and declining assistance is a real possibility. So we believe that it is necessary now to discuss new approaches to help the people of Ukraine and its leaders to persevere on the path of structural reforms and to ensure that Ukraine stays on the right track. One of the ways to do this is for the West to open an honest dialogue with Ukraine and stop pretending that things are okay because things are not okay. Uh, the system would have gotten nowhere defending Ukraine's corrupt political system without Western support. We've seen a lot of friendly pressure in the past, but unfortunately it doesn't help. So just the opposite, uh, the, new, the old forces of the old Ukraine have waited patiently for the Maidan fever to evaporate uh, to go on the offensive. So as long as Western leaders see Ukraine um, as a protector of Europe against Russia, Poroshenko can act domestically as any other Ukrainian politician for whom the borders between power, money, and force are blurred. Uh, we will discuss other policy recommendations after every speaker will um, have a chance to present his or her statements, and uh, I would welcome your comments and questions as well. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Mrs. Magli. So can we check whether we have, okay. Looks like we have uh, a connection with uh, this key. Right. Uh, all right. So it looks like they're establishing connection. So, um, nearly four years have passed since the Ukrainian Revolution of Dignity uh, brought down the corrupt government of Viktor Yanukovych. Uh, the revolution inspired widespread support in Ukraine and around the world and generated hope for a better future for the country and for the whole region. Yet, Ukrainian expectations are far from being met. The economy has shrunk, 
By 16%, the authorities have devalued the currency and defaulted on national debt. Living standards of Ukrainians have plummeted. Economic growth remains weak. What is the most important that levels of corruption and political and civil liberties have hardly changed. Uh, good evening, Mr. President. Uh, you just uh, uh, came from the meeting uh, near Verkhovna Rada, Parliament of Ukraine. Yesterday's events have shocked many observers, sincere and friendly supporters of new Ukraine, Ukraine that is fighting aggressor, Putin's Kremlin, Ukraine that is looking forward for a bright future among free, democratic, and peaceful nations. It was a shock for those who, for the last four years, have never expected anything similar to what with uh, indignation we saw yesterday's night and today's night near the uh, Ukrainian parliament. Mr. President, please tell us what all these attacks and all these actions of the authorities towards you, towards many other political leaders and civil activists means. How should we understand the very nature of the current political regime? Whether Mr. Poroshenko became another edition of Mr. Yanukovych? What mistakes have been made by the West in its policy towards Ukraine over the course of the last four years? What the West should do now? Mr. President. Welcome. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm sorry I have lost a little bit voice now. I just came from gathering. That's why I was late, where we have um, several thousand people standing in front of Ukrainian Rada. Uh, it's uh, like daily events now. They come, they go. Last uh, Sunday, we had biggest ever march after um, second uh, Maidan, after the Euromaidan, uh, a march against corruption. The entire Khrushchev was full of people. Um, well, look, uh, the case, the things against us, they got built up for some time already. First, they uh, allowed the local mafia to expel me from Odessa. Then the Poroshenko uh, made arrange it through Ministry of Justice, my party's registration to be canceled. Then uh, I was deprived of citizenship for fake, all kind of fake reasons. Uh, and then I was, um, I was, uh, um, I was, um, thrown uh, out from the country actually as a result. Then they tried to preempt, prevent me from coming back through absolutely legal means, through blocking the trains and on the Polish territory, through taking, uh, through uh, announcing that all the border pass points are mined. And now they, uh, on false pretenses, they are trying, they tried to arrest me yesterday. In fact, they tried to arrest me without, tried to arrest me without arrest warrant, without my lawyer being present without uh, submitting any formal document, which is a uh, root violation of Ukrainian law. So that's, that's all I can uh, say uh, what, uh, what, what, uh, what is happening about me. But I think overall that's an all-out attack on Ukraine's institutions. National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine is under huge attack. Uh, we, have, um, we, have, uh, uh, we have huge problems with um, uh, you know, with uh, independent members of parliament that are being harassed. Uh, today, indeed, uh, they took decision, committed to fire the, in the uh, independent chairman of uh, anti-corruption committee of the parliament, Yegor uh, Sobolev. Uh, uh, you obviously have anti-corruption activists under attack. Uh, you have all kind of things happening. There are all kind of ugly things. Well, that doesn't help Ukraine. That doesn't help Ukraine's image in the world. I think that we can see Ukraine that makes uh, Ukraine's adversary Russia stronger. That's all I can say as a starting point. What are your questions? 
All right. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, uh, just to speak to us, even with the problems with your voice, um, I cannot uh, 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 avoid the question uh, that uh, became uh, in the center of uh, debate yesterday and today. Uh, Prosecutor General of Ukraine yesterday has accused you in uh, conspiring with uh, Putin's Russia. Uh, calling you as an agent of FSB. And uh, today, uh, about five years, five hours ago, uh, President Poroshenko himself has called you and uh, your uh, supporters and your colleagues as enemy of Ukrainian people uh, working on behalf of Russia. Uh, you were president of Georgia uh, for uh, nine years, uh, and uh, under your leadership, uh, uh, you, you and your team have uh, implemented the probably most radical economic, political, and legal reforms in that country, making it uh, one of the most dynamic uh, country in the region, one of the cleanest uh, from the point of corruption with the most effective uh, uh, police, uh, honest and respected in the society, with economic growth about 12% per year, uh, with uh, that country became very respected uh, in the region, and not only in the region. You moved to Ukraine and became uh, governor of the Odessa region, where you have studied program of fighting corruption, uh, clothing the border with the Russian enclave in Moldova, Transnistria, building highway to the member of the European Union, Romania, um, and, and so on. Now, uh, several weeks ago, you have proposed uh, a new plan for, if I'm not mistaken, for 70 days what to do in Ukraine. So uh, do we, should we understand that it's all uh, secret FSB plans for Georgia and Ukraine to make them a very effective, dynamic, prosperous uh, countries, uh, uh, allies of the European and international civilized community? Could you tell us a little bit more about the secret FSB plan that uh, they think that you are implementing in Ukraine? Well, of course, uh, the uh, I mean, uh, joke of the situation is that this uh, ridiculous balloony about me being FSB agent. The um, the ridiculousness of the situation is that they are trying to use the term enemies, enemies of the people, enemies of Ukraine, and that's very sad because Poroshenko is trying to play on the terms that should not have been used in Ukraine, in modern Ukraine, in Ukraine that aspires to mm -hmm. European, because that's. Um, that's um, uh, that's how we we see it in you know uh, we, that's not how we saw it. I think the main difference that should happen between Ukraine and Russia mm -hmm. is that the system uh, system of uh, and two two different systems of government, two different systems of thinking, two different systems of how you achieve your success. And uh, from that standpoint, um, it doesn't help Ukraine. I think it's very important to understand that um, the we are we are uh, we are we are in a situation where uh, the only way how Ukraine can win this competition uh, is not through all-out military attack because it simply cannot match Russian capabilities. Uh, and there are many other reasons why it shouldn't be doing now this. Uh, it's through having obtaining double digit growth through building better roads than Russia, through giving perspective better perspective than Russia gives its citizens. And if it ever happens, 
you know, I was in NATO summit present in uh, Bucharest in 2009 when Putin said Ukraine is not a real country, it's a territory. And that's a Putin's gamble. He wants to prove that Putin, uh, Ukraine is a territory, not a real country. So from that standpoint, I think um, uh, the uh, if Ukraine succeeds, then that's the end of Putin. That's the closest way to end Putin's system. And the very moment Putin has crisis, Putin is undermined inside Russia. I'll tell you, Ukraine will uh, regain its territorial integrity. So that's how I see plan of victory for Ukraine. Um, and that's my secret plan, um, uh, obviously, but a very open one because I talk about it every day. Ukraine, uh, right now, Ukraine has a growth of um, less than 2%. Uh, if it grows with this same pace, it will only regain the level like last year of Yanukovych in 2013, uh, 2032. Uh, which is, of course, uh, 15 years from now. Now, that's not an option for Ukraine. Ukraine cannot afford to grow double digit. Ukraine should grow double the uh, to cannot afford to grow two percent. It needs to grow double digit. In order to grow double digit, it needs to end corruption. In order to end corruption, it needs to get rid of political class. And the way to do it legally is through uh, National Anti-Corruption Bureau, which is right now blocked by Poroshenko personally. It, it, and it is for, um, uh, through uh, the, uh, bolstering the younger reformist groups. And it's through uh, also uh, votes in parliament for street pressure, because without street pressure, they are not going to act. That's, that's for me, that's evident. So you know, that's why uh, we support all the new groups, uh, but also we uh, want to pressure them to adopt um, law on anti-corruption court, law on impeachment, uh, law on uh, uh, the uh, lifting of immunity of MPs, uh, and new election law. Uh, having said all that, uh, right now Poroshenko's group is on all-out attack. They attack me, they attack Sobol, they attack Nambu, they attack beat up anti-corruption activists in the region, uh, regions, uh, and it's uh, frankly starts to look more and more like uh, very unsavory neighboring practices, except from the fact that Ukraine is not Russia. I think Ukraine has amazing credentials of not being Russia. It's a freedom-loving people. It's a people that's very self-organized at their adult moments. These are people who always uh, always uh, make uh, forcing themselves to reject any authoritarian trends. Um, it's a people that has this free spirit of Cossacks, including and the Austro-Hungarian tradition of statehood and uh, Magdeburg law of uh, self-governing cities. Mm -hmm. So it has all the credentials uh, that uh, it has all the credentials that uh, Russia doesn't have. Uh, on the other hand, Ukraine's oligarchs live exactly like people in Russian oligarchs. You know, they formerly are at war, but Poroshenko is paying one billion um, rubles into the, or one billion rubles into uh, the budget of uh, Russia already on the, only last year uh, for his businesses in Russia. Um, the, uh, you know, we have Medvedchuk here, who is close friend of Poroshenko and his business partner, who also has close friend of Putin. So, you know, there we are uh, at war with Russia. Russia is enemy right now. Putin's Russia is enemy of Ukraine. But on the other hand, Ukraine's elite is so much like Russian elites, it's amazing. But if Ukraine has to go to the West, and it will, is going to the West, it has to go for middle class, not for oligarchs. But so far, middle class has been voting with their own you know, movements. They've been going to the West with, with, without Ukraine. They've been just emigrating to, to Poland uh, and other countries, Canada, etc. And that's not helped. 
uh, you know, Ukraine's population was 53 million when I voted for its independence as a student in Kiev in 1991. And maximum level of population right now is uh, 35. If it continues the same way, maximum uh, number of Ukrainians in 15 years from now will be uh, 25 million people. Uh, well, that's 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 very small number for this country, and most of them will be retired people. So we are dealing with demographic catastrophe, and the only way to reverse all of this and to stop further disintegration of Ukraine is to have fast growth, fast development, fast reforms, uh, and that's going to solve also the issue with Russia. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, do you have time for a couple of questions from sure. the audience? Okay, thank you. Okay, um, yeah, we have... Uh, uh, those who would like to uh, ask uh, Mr. President a question, please, first of all, raise your hand, identify yourself, and uh, pose a question as a question. Okay? Uh, yes, uh, microphone, please, here. Sure, Let's ask first question. Over your role, uh, partly, and you have declared that once the party split, that this was, you stopped a vicious plan to remove you from the leadership role in Georgia. Meanwhile, you are fighting for the opposition in, in, um, in Ukraine. How can you re reconcile being leaders of the two parties in two countries? Um, well, I, I don't, I, I'm not pretending at all to be the leader of party in Georgia. I'm an honorary chairman there, but I, I assure you, I don't even intervene into strategic decisions. This is, uh, this is still the main opposition party in Georgia. I can predict that any next elections, will, there is a, I can make better. They will win it, <clears throat> and uh, it will be their win. I'm not pretending to be their leader. Of course, I'm the loudest voice of opposition here in Ukraine, and that's fact of life. Uh, well, in Ukraine as well, I don't think I'll ever become president. I said I'm ready to become prime minister if it's necessary. I'm willing to assume this responsibility. Um, I'm, I'm obviously an Ukrainian politician, active Ukrainian politician right now. Even if Poroshenko does that, calls me enemy of Ukraine nation and deprived me of national passport, of my passport. But here you hear them maybe noises from the street. Here we have like six or seven thousand people standing outside my tent and rallying. So if not, I'm not an Ukrainian politician. What are these people doing here? Uh, what these thousands of people that uh, took me out from police when yesterday, how they gathered so fast from center of Kiev? That really means that uh, I'm an Ukrainian politician. And uh, I have my vision for future visions of Ukraine. Of course, I link those two. I don't think without successful Ukraine, Georgia can be long-term successful. I have my own benefit in mind for Georgia when I, when I fight for Ukraine. All right, thank you. Other questions? Oh, yes, please, Mike, here. Uh, um, I have a question about your, uh, the allegation against you. Yesterday, the General Prosecutor Office laid out a very serious allegation. So I would like to, you to clarify uh, or say it's true or not true 
what what you were accused of. Thank you. Well, they accused me of some connection with certain Kurchenko. I don't know who Kurchenko is. I've never met him. I mean, I've heard that he exists, but I've never met him. I don't know him. I've not spoken to him. And um, and this is typically look when they deprived me of my nationality, they uh, they falsified my uh, my uh, signature. Two years ago, Minister of Interior of Ukraine put my head on a video, on somebody else's body, and put video of me standing with Russian oligarch uh, somewhere in Odessa. Uh, and then, uh, like a few days later, they had to recognize that it was fake. Uh, so I'm not, I'm quite used to it, and I don't think anybody in the world is, would they ever take it seriously. Certainly in Ukraine, people don't take it seriously. All right. Any other questions? Uh, Mr. President, may I ask you uh, 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 probably one of the most important questions for uh, the West, uh, for Western allies of Ukraine uh, nowadays. Uh, after these four years uh, after revolution of dignity, uh, what, you, what your advice would be for the West, uh, the whole, and for the United States, for international organizations? What have been uh, made not in the right way? What should be corrected? In which way uh, the West should uh, work with Ukraine now and in future? What's your advice for the West? Look, the West has all but almost has given up on Ukraine. What I hear from my Western friends is what the story Ukrainian oligarchs want to put uh, inside Ukraine and to plan the story. The story is, no matter what happens, Ukraine is uh, lost. Ukraine will always be run by oligarchs. Ukrainian nation is not capable of building, building <coughs> a modern functioning state uh, in the sense we understand it. Yeah, and we should just play on difference of different oligarchs and keep uh, try uh, strike the right balance between them. Well, this is a very wrong story. But I've heard it from very respectable friends in, in Washington, in New Brussels, all around the place, in Poland. And um, not give up on Ukrainian people. Ukrainian people are not handy, like, um, are not, uh, 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 are fully, are, are fully normal people. They are very talented, very hardworking, good people. Um, and also, we should remember that as the many millions of Ukrainians have moved to other countries in recent years, and they can compare. They already know how the modern economy functions. So I have to tell you that uh, main, the main uh, uh, task right now is not to give up on Ukraine, not to uh, not to buy into this story that oligarchs, uh, Ukraine is doomed to be run by oligarchs. The West can easily kill uh, corruption if Ukrainian oligarchs. The West can um, uh, block their bank accounts. Well, look, well, lots of people in present Ukraine leadership that's, uh, that are attacking Naboo and blocking uh, investigations, they have their bank accounts in America or in Europe. I don't have any bank accounts in America and Europe, but they have. So the fact is that um, because they have these accounts, they are vulnerable. They cannot run to Russia, to Russia anymore, and they cannot go fly to the West uh, when they are no longer presidents or prime ministers in the other positions. So use it. Uh, push them. Uh, you can push them much more efficiently, but the, uh, people say, well, what's the use of pushing them? The next ones will be the same. It's not true. New generation is coming. Uh, it has been formed by Second Maidan to a large extent. There are young members of parliament like I am Leschenka, Sveta Zalishchuk, lots of people like uh, deputy heads of administration, heads of administrations, uh, local deputy ministers um, that have got taste of power. They wanted to do reforms. Reforms that haven't really worked, but uh, they want to come back for more. 
and these are the allies of the West, real mental allies, not the oligarchs. Oligarchs internally are allies of the Russians, that's for sure. Mr. President, thank you very much for joining us uh, in this very important and very timely session. Uh, uh, we wish you uh, all the best to you and all Ukrainian people in building a peaceful, democratic uh, uh, country well, right in the bright future. Well, Right now, you, first of all, you, first of all, Andre, thank you for everything you are doing. Also, I, I have to tell you, you have lots of um, fans in Ukraine. Uh, people keep uh, quoting me uh, your quotations all the time. Uh, second, I have to say that you know I'm lucky I'm in your uh, air because right now I would be sitting in some uh, SBU cellar somewhere in center of Kiev. Uh, if people had not freed me. So actually you are risking by taking an irregular into your Kato conference uh, because I'm uh, legally a fugitive right now. Uh, and third one, I have to say that uh, when you wish us peaceful continuation, peaceful is the key word. We want peace here. We want peaceful democratic transition. And that will be decisive for the future of Ukraine and all of us. Thank you. Once again, thank you very much. Uh, be safe and uh, all Ukrainians must be safe. Uh, and prosperous and democratic uh, in free country. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, uh, we shall continue with our program and I uh, would invite uh, Sergei Nasenko, uh, Ukrainian business, uh, businessman, uh, the founder of the uh, analytical center uh, and civil political movement Rosvitok, which means development. Uh, please uh, have your floor. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and uh, thank you, Andre and uh, Cato Institute, for having uh, given me this uh, opportunity to speak to you and address U.S. community about the Ukraine. Uh, we have, been, we have been discussing extensively what to say those days, and uh, as you see, we just uh, get so many news, and uh, that's why we change a lot our, our program, so we prepared the, the presentation with the figures, which, which you will probably see and uh, also address that, uh, and you will see how, how much uh, was lost during those years, those recent years, from the economical standpoint in Ukraine, and how much we decline and uh, how much poverty we have now. But uh, the question is, uh, you know, we we kind of having lots of events, historical Maidans, and after after those Maidans, we came, we kind of came to the same point. I mean, same sort of issues like corruption, like poverty, like absence of economical growth. And the question is why? Why it's happening in this way? Why this like rich and potentially great country is so poor and so in disaster? And the answer to this question could be that the system has been changed since 1991 when we restored our independence. And that's, that's the key point. Uh, and uh, now if you look at the political map of Ukraine, you see the same kind of tendency. I mean, you have left parties everywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter if they say they are nationalists, they're patriots, or they are just uh, social democrats. They are all left. 
they, they kind of use the same rhetoric and they say to the people, we are going to take from the rich and distribute, which is completely wrong. I mean, because we have witnessed those kind of political platform in the Soviet Union and it failed and it cost millions of lives. So why should Ukraine continue in this way in the 21st century? Coming back to history, we all admit that Ukrainians have a strong will to freedom and personal liberty. Probably is the only one country on the Soviet uh, space which demonstrated this will so strongly on the first and the second Maidan, not taking into consideration the suffering and the loss of the 20th centuries where both of the world wars were held practically in the territory of Ukraine when, when we lost around 5 million people during famine. And uh, it just the price people were paying for freedom, for their national identity. And what we have now is just not acceptable. I mean, the question of, of this panel is if Ukraine is on the right way, and the answer is no, absolutely no. And who, the, the next question is who's responsible? I would say this is the government. I mean, because people bringing them to power was uh, expecting very different. They were expecting the, the change, the reform, not the prosecution. I mean, before prosecute, you have to change the system so people understand that in the current situation, the Every single interpreter is in Ukraine is, is a potential criminal. I don't know if you, if you feel it, but I was doing business in my country since 91 and then never get rid of that feeling because uh, in the Soviet Union, there, there was an OBHSS who was prosecuting every kind of uh, economical activity. Now we have uh, uh, prosecutor's office, we have fiscal authorities who are completely corrupt, they take bribes, and they uh, just depress the economy. They, there is no respect for private property. That's why there is no investment in the country, because people could not protect their rights for property in the, in the courts. They could not repatriate their, their profit because of the National Bank uh, making uh, those regulations and practically making it impossible to get money out of the country. So in this world, uh, uh, economical growth is something essential. And then when we founded our organization, which we intentionally called development, we were focusing on those issues and traveling around the country, speaking to the uh, ordinary people, we understood that they are not educated at all about uh, their their opportunities as uh, economical individuals. You know, they still think about big government, they think about the state-owned economy, which is probably outdated already for many years. So uh, this, is, this is, is kind of philosophy which is behind of the, of, of the Ukraine. I mean, you don't need to, you don't need to have a great and big uh, state budget to make people comfortable in your country. You just need to give them freedom and opportunities. 
And we are dreaming about the, this, this sort of a country where every individual, doesn't matter, uh, Ukrainians, Georgians, Armenians, Russians, British, French, they will feel comfortable. They will be comfortable to do business. They will be comfortable to live, to brought up children, and to be proud to be Ukrainian citizens. That's, that's, that's the essential point. Uh, if, if it, let's, let's take several examples like, uh, econo from the economical standpoint. I mean, Andre mentioned the, uh, the currency exchange, and uh, this, is, this is completely right. And this is completely linked to IMF uh, uh, program, which we have in Ukraine, because IMF is doing, doing their work on the accounting basis and not taking into consideration the, the necessity to stimulate economical growth. I mean, and it appeared that nobody in the country was able to protect the sovereignty of Ukraine and to protect Ukrainian banks. We lost just uh, around 87 banks for, for the last three years. That means we lost uh, national capital. And moreover, we, we lost like 700 billion grivnas in those banks. Seven, 700 million grivnas is, for the old exchange rate, is almost $100 million. I mean, we don't, we don't need any kind of uh, external financing if we learn how to, to be uh, host in our own house. I mean, that's, that's, that's the problem. I mean, and the NBU, is, the National Bank of Ukraine, is supposed to be an independent organization, but is nowadays in completely it completely depends on the president. I mean, that's, that's obvious. You know, the, for the moment, the National Bank governor is uh, on vacation and long-term vacation, and no other government governor is appointment in the in the time when the, the country is so poor and so in need of uh, investments and uh, strong politics in the financial sector. This is one thing. Then the other topic we, we are now discussing is that about the lethal weapon to provide, to protect Ukraine. Yes, it's important. I mean, it's, like, it's important when you're at war. But look, who's gonna be, who's gonna be in charge of that weapons? I mean, Oboron Prom, everybody knows is a monster is a corrupt monster which is just not transparent. I mean, how we can rely and uh, get those weapons in this current system? I, I mean, this is, this is a stress to everybody and the, the community will be after complaining that uh, at the end of the day that, that weapons ended to be sold to somebody. I mean, why don't, why don't we deal or, or ISIS? I mean, that's... That's that's a big that's a big thing. I mean, and um, the other example is uh, natural gas and naphtha gas, and uh, the, we have been promised many times. And uh, I'm uh, from from my uh, business standpoint, I'm an investment banker. So we were trying to to help the government many times to build their to finance the. Um, the subway construction in Kiev and uh, also trying to help them to reform NAFTA gas. But at the end of the day, uh, this is not a transparent how they even choose the advisors. I mean, uh, the example of NAFTA gas is just, is just there. I mean, Rothschild and the Rothschild were acting through their Moscow office. I mean, they, they were speaking with Yanukovych about uh, 
splitting the NAFTA gas. And now the same people they are speaking with, with the current government, how they will split NAFTA gas. And this is not transparent at all. We don't know anything about who's going to uh, be in charge of uh, transit of natural gas. And the other story is uh, everybody says that we need an investment to uh, increase our own production. At the, at the end of the day, as I said, you couldn't just get any kind of uh, investment from outside because the rule of law is not there, is completely prohibitive to any kind of investor to put money into the country. So we will still be depending, doesn't matter what the government say, we will still be depending on the importing of, of natural gas. I mean, and then we all know that the gas which is coming from the side of Europe is in fact, has Russian origin, unfortunately. And at the same time, in the 70s, Ukraine used to be the only one of the few uh, uh, natural gas producing regions in the, Soviet, in the Soviet Union before they start developing the Siberia. So that's, that's a huge deposit there. And strategically, Ukraine is very important uh, for the world. I mean, it's just, uh, as I said, the wars were always there because of, of the geopolitical uh, location. We, we have the, the best agricultural lands in, in Europe. So that's a country which can offer many things to the international community, international business communities and investors. But at this moment, we just could not, uh, we just could not uh, realize that potential, unfortunately. So I just uh, uh, said about the main, uh, main thing which uh, are not good in the in the country, but uh, to my mind, the the plan is uh, just completely changes the system. The system to deregulate, to remove the 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 procedures which are source of corruption, and and then after that we will be able to prosecute people uh, because for the moment you, you you literally can prosecute everybody. I mean, uh, in our organization we have. Uh, several uh, business people like IT guys, and they, they always complain, I mean, about the law enforcement authorities are just a part of a business process, which is, which is completely unacceptable. It doesn't matter if it's the, uh, if it's the, uh, the tender procedures or just normal economical activity. The other thing is the tax reform. We should change the tax system, which is absolutely outdated. We should, we should uh, come back to the conditions when their uh, national capital will be growing again and not declining like it happened right now. So uh, from the international standpoint, I would suggest that uh, uh, the, we should not uh, say Ukraine is the, is the government in Ukraine. We should think about people and separate people and the government for the moment because unfortunately, to my opinion, and uh, it's supported by the facts that people are leaving the country, you know, that's like 30 million, 32 million people instead of official 45 is just very sad. I mean, young people leaving to live in Poland, in Germany, everywhere, just they just don't stay. So we are losing the country. And, and that's, uh, that's the point to just completely redo the system. Thank you.
All right, thank you very much, uh, Sergey. So now we're moving to the Q&A session, but let me ask a first question uh, for both of our speakers. Um, now we have a very clear cut, uh, two different responses to the question that has been uh, posed as the title of this panel. Uh, is Ukraine on the right course? We have uh, the very clear answer yes, and we have a clear answer no. So that's give us a floor for interesting uh, discussion uh, ahead of us. Uh, may I ask you, um, over last time, there was a lot of comparison of the current government and current uh, political regime with the previous one, uh, Mr. Poroshenko with Mr. Yanukovych. Putting aside the foreign policy, putting aside the defense, uh, the war uh, in East Ukraine and uh, situation in Crimea, let's talk about the internal domestic situation, domestic policies of the current government in economic area, towards political opponent and political system, towards civil society. What your assessment? How would you compare these uh, two governments, Mr. Yanukovych and Mr. Poroshenko? Mr. Poroshenko, similar, not similar? What is common, what is different between two governments? You want to start, Katya? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I can, uh, excuse me. Hello? Yeah, economically speaking, I would say this, this is the same, uh, because, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the story about uh, debts and uh, bad, poor economical uh, um, uh, performance started exactly after Yanukovych was elected. I mean, the, law, the hard law enforcement and the raider, um, raiders, they were, that problem started there. And then the Maidan was also about that. I mean, because the economical activity of the people changed dramatically. I mean, you know, uh, Yushchenko was very liberal in this way, and then people get hope. And now, and then Yanukovych changed it backwards. And Maidan, the second Maidan, the Dignity Revolution was also be because of that. But the new hope never, never came true because they just, the new government, they just, uh, uh, headed the corruption system which was created by Yanukovych, unfortunately. This, all the verticals, they call it verticals, I mean, those the system of bribery from the regional level, bureaucrats to the top, they just didn't change anything and still working. I mean, ask the, ask the people who are dealing with the tax authorities, they're still there. I mean, they, you have to pay. You have to pay bribes to to be allowed to work, which is nonsense. All right, uh, thank you. Well, well, in my opinion, I think that it is simply improper to compare the presidents and I would- uh, Can you speak up? Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Is it, yes, is it working? So, in my opinion, it is improper to compare the two presidents, and I believe that instead of comparing the personalities, we should simply say that change is never easy, and that the system has to be uh, changed itself. You know, let me give you an example. Vice President Biden made multiple visits to Ukraine and 
pressed President Poroshenko to replace Prosecutor General Shokin, who we all believed was extremely corrupt and who did nothing to clean up the Prosecutor's General Office and to uh, clean up the business operations in Ukraine. Now we have the new and many people believed progressive Prosecutor General, Yuri Lutsenko, who was himself imprisoned by the previous regime. You know, he was a political prisoner in uh, Yanukovych's era. Nevertheless, his office now repeats the same practices which existed years before. And I believe that the reform process in Ukraine has hit a considerable um, roadblock, and this is the prosecutor's office. Ukraine and all post-Soviet countries, they have inherited from the Soviet Union and even from the Russian Empire this tradition of a very strong prosecutor's general office, which is simply used, it was used by Peter the Great, by the sovereign, you know, as eyes and ears of the, of the Tsar. In the Soviet regime, it was again the system that prosecuted people for politically motivated charges. And it is now again used by all presidents who identify themselves with the state. You know, by the way, in all post-Soviet constitutions, you have this uh, notion of Dirjava, you know, of the state. You, it's very difficult to explain what the state is all about, but the leaders, as soon as they become state leaders, they think that the state is them. So the constitutional reform is necessary to diminish uh, the powers of the prosecutor's general office and to strip the president, whoever he will be, Yanukovych, Poroshenko, Yushchenko, Kuchma, of the possibility to use this as a mechanism for politically motivated persecution of his opponents. The prosecutor's general office should be narrowed down and become a very impartial and independent institution under the Ministry of Justice. Uh, but please uh, avoid comparisons of personalities. I believe that President Poroshenko has faced challenges, international challenges and domestic challenges, which are simply unprecedented. And th these challenges have never been faced by his predecessor, which enjoyed, I believe, a pretty comfortable life with President uh, on, on the eastern border. You know, President Putin was his probably best friend and was more or less tolerated by the European and American friends. Uh, President Poroshenko does have to deliver on many uh, other promises, but I believe that um, the current situation in Ukraine uh, has probably still gives him a chance to demonstrate that he is a strong leader of the country and with some corrections in the current policy, the Ukraine will divert into the right direction. All right, yeah. thank you. Um, uh, as it's certainly, um Every, every opinion is uh, some kind of respected. Nevertheless, it's rather hard to avoid comparison between uh, not only institutions, but between people. Uh, when I was in Ukraine, nine of 10 Ukrainians uh, told me uh, different levels of comparison between exactly Mr. Poroshenko and Minikonovich in a very personal way that I would not repeat here. So that is why. Okay, we're moving to the Q&A session here from the audience. Once again, I would remind you, please identify yourself, and after that, pose your question. Okay, the gentleman over there, please. Alek Mirkulov, I'm from media group Vesti from Riga, Latvia. So there is a big difference. Uh, please tell whom you address your question. Uh, to to uh, both, and actually I'd like uh, also if, I know you're a moderator, but maybe you can also uh, tell your, your thoughts on the issue. Because they came from Ukraine and they know the situation better than anybody else. Okay, okay, so, well, 
we'll see whoever will want to take this question. So there is one big difference between uh, Latvia and Ukraine. So Latvia is a member of European Union, Ukraine so far is not, right? But there is also one big similarity between Latvia and Ukraine. And uh, governments of both countries right now have plans to close down uh, Russian language schools. In Latvia, the program is being implemented by the Ministry of Education, as we speak, and uh, it was the reason... Your question, please. Yes, the question is, uh, how wise do you think is uh, to try to implement such a program in Ukraine in, in the current situation? Because in Latvia, it, it already draws a, uh, protests. Okay, thank you. So. Well, I have heard nothing about Ukraine's government plans to close Russian language schools, and I have just simply to verify this information to be able to give you and the correct answer, proper answer to your question. All right, thanks. Uh, here, microphone. Hello, my name is Yana Roginska. I'm Ukrainian, but I'm living in Washington, D.C. now. I'm a Cato intern currently. I want to thank you for the such summary of, like, perfectly you did the problems what Ukraine is facing now. But in terms of the solutions, what I've heard from the... You're posing your question. Both, both speakers. So the solutions that you proposed from deregulation reforms to the constitutional reform, but this seems to be like a long-term perspective. What solution would you propose now, short-term solutions? Should there be impeachment or no impeachment to the president? Should we have the elections or no elections? Like what short-term, what should we do like in short-term perspective right now? Uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 I want to start there with that we have to separate the war and the government because they some sort of a lot of manipulation about that and uh, uh, that's that's the base for answering i mean and the, my answer is that it's just very weird that the coalition itself has the support of less than 10 percent of the voters i mean so in any other country it would lead to to an election i mean so that's uh, Political representation is an important mechanism of the uh, democratic society. So we, we need to think about that. I mean, that, that we just could not continue in this way because we, the country just may be not surviving until the next uh, cycle. Okay. Well, for me, the, the short-term solution is for the civil society activists and those promising Euromaidan political parties, which had been established shortly before the Euromaidan revolution and immediately afterwards, is to roll up their sleeves and to do their work in establishing strong and real political parties in Ukraine. Probably you've heard that on the eve of the next presidential elections, which are scheduled for, what, March 2019, we already kind of try to prematurely feel the niche of the new leader and by presenting Slavkova Karchuk, the famous Ukrainian rock singer, as a potential candidate to fill this niche. Um, why I believe it is prematurely? Because uh, it is not yet clear whether Vakarchuk is himself ready to nominate himself for the presidency. And secondly, because Vakarchuk simply doesn't have any political force that stands behind him. Ukraine doesn't have real political parties. It has all sorts of blocks, unions uh, funded by the oligarchs. These are, not, these are all virtual parties with very murky political agenda. And to establish closer links between civil society and the people of Ukraine, civil society has to work with volunteers and political parties to mobilize real support for the political agenda. Uh, 
Euromaidan activists who are members of, I don't know, Democratic Alliance, Sila uh, Lude, uh, and other political forces, they still have almost one year and a half. Uh, yes, they should support and continue the anti-corruption efforts. Yes, they should continue revealing all sorts of misdeeds which are currently done by the uh, authorities. But nevertheless, they should diversify their activities. You know, they should uh, meet with the people to explain their political agenda, to clearly demonstrate what kind of a political, economic, cultural, social, and humanitarian reforms they can offer. Because we, as I wrote in my paper, know very well what they stand against. They, they stand against corruption, but they do not provide too much detail in between. You know, what will you do if one day you will become uh, in charge of, of Ukraine? What would be your reform effort in education? How you see Ukraine's culture developing? So my short-term solution is to strengthen political parties in Ukraine, especially those parties which are led by young and promising politicians, because Ukraine will not change until the, generation, the new generation of its leaders changes. And of course, in connection with this, sorry, to kind of bring so, so much information in one speech. Ukraine now has, and with the, probably the pressure from the international community, has to do something with the Central Election Commission because this would be the key institution responsible for delivering and ensuring that the next presidential and parliamentary elections are clean. You know that 13 mandates of, out of 15 members of the Central Election Commission is already out, kind of terminated, they have to be terminated. And nevertheless, President Poroshenko failed to nominate new candidates to the Central Election Commission because naturally he wants to have a loyal Central Election Commission which would ensure you know, that everything is under control. So uh, even uh, Mr. Rachindovsky, who is now chairman of the Central Election Commission is facing criminal charges for accepting bribe from the party of regions. You know, he was in charge of the Central Commission under the Yanukovych regime. Isn't it illogical, you know, that we have a guy who is under criminal investigation still in charge of the Central Election Commission? It means that the authorities are simply keeping him on the hook, probably, and kind of manipulating and exerting pressure on him if, if necessary. So the political process, and just focus on the reform agenda, just focus on the next cycle, real cycle. We, need to, don't, we don't have to impeach the president now. We don't need premature elections. Let's Ukraine do its homework and within the time frames that is still available for Ukraine's leaders to develop sound programs and to demonstrate in the next uh, uh, cycle of elections, which I would be, believe would be fair for everyone, to, to fight for the voters uh, with, the, with their strong programs. Uh, may I ask you just a very short uh, answer? Uh, okay, uh, President, impeachment not now. It's clearly from your point of view. What about Prosecutor General and the head of the security service of Ukraine? Based on the uh, uh, actions last night and the previous, uh, again, the political opponents and civil activists and so on. As what is your attitude? As I explained, I believe that President Poroshenko will find a third Mr. Shokin or Mr. Lutsenko, whatever his or her name would be. All right. Thank you very much. It's a very important and very informative uh, answer. It will be another uh, Mr. Gritsaka, another yes. Mr. Lutsenko. Yeah, just okay. just uh, to let you know that yesterday the prosecutor generals, they, uh, they started the criminal investigation against Bendukidze Center. We saw uh, yes. Vladimir Fedorin, who is the head so just don't forget about that to build political parties, you need the, the freedom because otherwise you're going to be prosecuted by the uh, corrupt law enforcement authorities. And that's, that's a big problem. All right, thank you. <clears throat> Professor Osland. 
Anders Åslund, Atlantic Council. Thank you very much for excellent uh, presentation. Congratulations to you, Andre, for all putting this uh, together. Uh, my question concerns property rights and uh, the judicial system. Three countries have really succeeded. Georgia, as mentioned, uh, Estonia, and East Germany. They sacked all prosecutors, they sacked all uh, judges, and built up new systems. And uh, shouldn't that be done, as with NABO, new system, and outside international uh, judges who put it up? Isn't this the way uh, to go? And these are the key institutions, as Andre mentioned, prosecutor's office, and uh, SPO, and also don't forget the uh, judges, these uh, three institutions, sufficiently few people, so they can all be uh, moved aside, and there are sufficiently many who can take their uh, jobs and be competent, but you need to have an outside force, as with uh, the appointment of Sydney for NABO, isn't this the way to go? Thank you. Okay. So Thank you. Uh, you give you, I give you a chance to answer. Uh, I would like to ask you, uh, 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 Anders, for bringing the issue of NABU, uh, National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, which is now the uh, most independent, the most honest uh, organization that is fighting corruption at this under unprecedented concentrated attack from the authorities. Not only Mr. Sekashvili, not only Mindukin, the center, but those who are really fighting corruption. Okay, uh, Mr. Nsenka, what would be your answer to the question? Yeah, I mean, the, the, we have we have witnessed some efforts to do that with the national police building a new force, but it's some some sort of stop in the middle. But I completely support that we need to uh, completely get rid of old people in the in the legal system. It just you couldn't just repair it. It's just I mean impossible. You you need to start from the scratch. I completely agree. Okay. I am not an economist, so I simply pass on this question. Sorry, I'm not an expert. Not so much about economics, it's about uh, institutional, yeah, institutional uh, development, institutional structure of the country. Okay, anyway, so uh, the gentleman over there. Hello, welcome to DC. Uh, Andre, thanks for moderating. So, my question uh, I'm Mikola Varabiov, research fellow at uh, John Hopkins University. Uh, I have like two short questions. So, the first is about, uh, and Andre, to you too. Uh, uh, so I expect that you can answer also. The first is about uh, what do you expect about this current uprising? Because here in DC we hear different message about Saakashvili and about his ye yesterday detentions, about his connection allegedly with Kurchenko and so forth. So what do you expect? It's going to be another revolution. It's going to be just another pressure or early elections. And how do you expect the United States to maybe intervene in this case? So what do you expect from the United States at this mo mo moment on uh, its policy towards Ukraine? Thank you very much. All right. Well, I think the United States just recently, yesterday, has issued a statement and urged all participants of this process, both the protesters and the government, to ensure that all of this is resolved in a peaceful manner. And I don't think that the United States government will make any other public statements uh, to go any further, because this would be considered an interference into Ukraine's domestic uh, political process. And as long as uh, politically charged, uh, politically motivated persecution of Saakashvili's supporters stop, you know, as soon as the Ukraine's migration service stops arresting and uh, kind of deporting his supporters from the country, I believe that uh, the 
the pressure, uh, international pressure on the Ukrainian government will be diminished in this case. But the protests will probably continue until the Rada convenes again and uh, uh, votes on other demands which had been publicly put on the floor by the protesters. So far, I, I believe that only one uh, demand had been uh, discussed in the Rada, and this is the new law on the election uh, to uh, get rid of the single mandate constituencies and to ensure that Ukraine will hold its next election under the pure proportional system with open party lists. All right. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to add that, uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is obvious that uh, those days, uh, like when the media space is just monopolized in Ukraine and uh, law enforcement is not in a good shape. I mean, we, we could not just say uh, is it true or not true. We, uh, we just can say the system is sick and, and have to be completely destroyed again. I mean, uh, it just uh, to give you an example, like when your house is just uh, hundred years old and never been uh, really repaired you have a hole in the roof and instead of changing the roof you just paint the wall i mean that that was exactly going on in ukraine for 26 years i mean and the the example of the baltic countries seems to be good because uh, i remember i was crossing the border of lithuania from from belarus in 1993 there was a a visa, there was a, a strong uh, police uh, control on the border. I mean, they, separ they separate, they managed to separate from the old system very quickly. And that was the, the key success. I mean, I, I'm not saying we need to separate from, from the world, but we need to be proud of being Ukrainians. I mean, doesn't matter uh, what happened. I mean, that's the interest of Ukraine have to be uh, the first and then uh, the rest is just uh, we we choose what is the best for us European Union the union with Singapore or the union with Ant with Antarctica I mean that that's the secondary question I mean the elite have to be responsible for what's going on and then the shame I, I call it the shame what is going on now in Kiev is the shame because the elite have to find a compromise. I mean, they have to find a compromise and sacrifice their personal interest. And that's the key. I mean, the rest is just secondary. Thank you. Okay, very short uh, comments on your question about this accusation of Mr. Saakashvili and conspiring with Russian FSB and services. So they are ridiculous. Uh, Mr. Saakashvili is the most hated person by Mr. Putin in the whole uh, post-Soviet space and maybe in the whole world. Mr. Saakashvili was able to defend Georgia in the year 2008 war during aggression. He did not allow Russian troops to conquer Tbilisi, the capital of Georgia. He did not allow Putin to overthrow the Georgian government. He was able to defend Georgian independence. And uh, Georgia still is an independent country, not a puppet regime as Mr. Putin wanted. Mr. Saakashvili moved to Odessa and actually did not allow to develop what we can see now in uh, east of Ukraine in Donbass, because it exactly what the plan was to do it in Transnistria in Odessa region. He was effectively in putting down this uh, uh, coup plot organized by the FSB. He was uh, extremely helpful in bringing Ukraine towards Europe. 
not only building highways, not, but kind of bringing uh, and building the Navy base for Ukrainian Navy in Odessa, uh, strengthening it. Uh, just his plan for the 70 days, how to transform Ukraine, it's a ala Georgia plan for fast reformation of Ukraine to produce the similar results that he has been able to achieve in Georgia. So all these accusations are completely ridiculous and it shows the level and style of the attitudes that demonstrated by the current uh, Ukrainian governments towards Mr. Saakashvili, towards Mr. Uh, Fedorin in Bindukidze Center, towards Nabu, towards many others, their political opponents. I have just really last minutes uh, and I would really ask both of you to give us your short advice to the West. What do you think West should do now in this very difficult situation for Ukraine uh, with aggression from outside, with the run, uh, continuing corruption, with this rising authoritarian regime uh, in Ukraine? What would be the right policy of the West, of the uh, friends of Ukraine around the world towards Ukraine? <clears throat> Let, let me, I, I mean, shortly speaking, I, I, my appeal is that just separate the government of Ukraine and Ukrainian people. I mean, if you think helping Ukrainian people, that's good, but don't, don't help that government because that government is not for Ukraine. Well, this is a very broad question. Uh, my immediate reaction would be, as I said in my 10-minute introduction, to start speaking the truth and have a mature dialogue with the Ukrainian authorities and kind of have a checkpoint, you know, what had been, what went well, what went wrong, and to uh, link all financial and economic assistance which Ukraine currently receives from the European Union and from the United States only to Ukraine's success with regard to the anti-corruption reform. Probably some of you in this audience have heard about the so-called Marshall Plan, and now it's called the European Plan for Ukraine, which is strongly lobbied by Ukraine's Lithuanian friends. It is an idea of the former Prime Minister Kubilis, and now it's discussed now in the European Union I personally believe that with all the very positive intentions that uh, Europeans now have put inside of this idea of the Marshall Plan of Ukraine providing a lot of economic assistance to the current government, I believe that before the next presidential elections it, it, it would be a wrong idea because it would create an uneven uh, political playing level field and can be used by the current authorities to demonstrate once again that they have achieved tremendous progress with Ukraine's economic, political and anti-corruption reforms. And secondly, you know, by putting the financial, what they call cart, in front of the horse, you make the horse lazy and you don't let the horse really drive the, the cart, you know, and that's what the Ukrainian government is supposed to do. Ukrainian government has to lead, not to be led. And that is what we currently lack. So uh, the West, as I said, you have to be open and sincere, but also um, make sure that all further financial assistance that Ukraine receives has very has linked to very tangible and concrete specific results on uh, Ukraine's economic and anti-corruption fronts. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really sorry, but we uh, need to finish because our time is up. So could you please uh, help me to thank our excellent speakers today for this wonderful presentation.